When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast, the pre-Wimbledon edition. Uh, we talked a lot about the draw on Friday, but we didn't talk a huge amount about the tournament itself and everything that's been going on over the last week, so we're going to do that today. I'm joined, of course, by George Belshaw and Calvin Betton. I'm James Gray of the iNewspaper and iNews.co.uk, uh, broadcasting from an undisclosed location somewhere in the vicinity of Wimbledon. That's as much as I'm going to tell you. Uh, we've got loads to get through today, of course, because it was a really busy week. Uh, we're going to talk about titles won in Bad Homburg, in Mallorca, in Eastbourne as well. Uh, we'll talk a bit about Serena, Philip Kohlschreiber maybe, a uh, big week for Brit, Nick Kyrgios with a new agent, Emre Adekanu with a new coach, and Novak Djokovic with a new excuse for not paying the US Open. No, in fact, it's an old one. Um, but let's start with those who have won titles in the last four weeks. Caroline Garcia beating uh, Bianca Andreescu, Stefanos Tsitsipas uh, beating Roberto Bautista Agu in Mallorca, and Petra Kvitova winning in Eastbourne, beating Yelena Ostapenko. George, of those three titles, which one sort of stands out to you as the most significant? Now, remember that listeners at home can't see your face and therefore don't know that you're thinking. (laughs) All they can hear is silence. It is quite challenging to be uh, thinking this late on a Sunday. Um, I think Kvitova is quite a big one, to be honest. I mean, that was someone I'd not necessarily considered um, as someone who can do some damage at Wimbledon, but she's obviously been there before, won a title. Um, so for her to beat Ostapenko, who I beat, picked for my own fantasy team, someone I fancied to kind of make most of the draw, um, is quite a good sign for her. Obviously, Australian Open runner-up not too long ago, um, but not really done it at the slams since. So I think grass is probably where I see her being at her best. So kind of picking up a title just before is 
maybe turned my head slightly in terms of, or perhaps a few fantasy players who think she might be worth a pick. And I think, you okay, you look at her semi-final and final, she beat Beatrice Haddad Meyer, who has won a lot of matches on grass this summer, and Yelena Ostapenko, who has been in decent form as well, uh, both in singles and doubles, and is a decent player on grass, full stop. So you'd have to say that title is worth, you know, I sometimes think winning a title the week before a slam is actually not worth very much because the ti- generally most people who are in good nick don't go and play it. Like if you're in good form, if you've got the matches on the surface, you probably don't play the week before the slam. But actually, based on who she beat in those matches, I do think it's quite, as you say, George, significant. Um, at the age of 32, is she still capable of pulling something out of the bag? As you say, she's won here twice before. A lot of positive memories. I think given, and she has turned my head in fantasy, so much so that I picked her, um, I think the experience on grass is huge because she realistically has something that a lot of women in WTA don't have, and that is a large number of match victories on grass. I saw someone on Twitter say the other day, most of the tour can barely walk on grass, which is perhaps a little exaggeration, but it it did make me laugh. Um, Calvin, we spoke last time about kind of Stefanos Tsitsipas proving himself on grass um, going and winning the title in Mallorca beating Roberto Batista Ragut in the final, does that change your mind about anything in particular? Um, beating Batista Ragut doesn't really change my mind about anything on the grass court <laughs> but, um, yeah, winning a title, he's winning matches isn't he? I think mm. it's always important if, you, if you're winning matches then um, if you're winning matches then I think it's all good mm. Um yeah, he's, he's yeah. I mean, he's proven a little bit more. As I've said before, I think he could win it, but maybe not this year. But um, although I think I might have picked him for this year, so I'm talking nonsense there. But um, <laughs> uh, he, he won't win it. I'm pretty sure he won't. Uh, I mean, Mallorca looked it looked a very fast surface. Um, it certainly seemed to play pretty fast. It, it'll obviously it always is at Wimbledon be slow in the first week, and then generally it quickens up as the courts wear a bit more which I know is one of Calvin's favourite things about the surface is the way it changes over the course of the tournament um, and I say this advisedly because he just stuffed his face with what I think are olives um, and therefore I oh no we've got a shake of the head but he can't possibly tell us minstrels <laughs> I, I should have known that a man from Barnsley would never be caught dead eating olives as a snack that's um, not true. I've literally just had some olives before we came online. <laughs> <laughs> because I needed to use up. I refused to leave. We get we get a certain amount of money as coaches to spend in the restaurant um, every day. And I refuse. That, this is very Barnsley, very Yorkshire. I refuse to leave anything on it any day. Um, <laughs> so I just went and got a bag of olives that I wasn't really wanting, but I just got them and ate them. So I didn't need money for anything. I'm glad we're continuing the theme of what is Calvin consuming because I've had a few people say to me who I've known who listen to the podcast be like, oh, I love that section where you're asking what Calvin was drinking. So I feel like we're hitting a very niche section of our audience who just love to know what he's snacking on. Well, the answer to what he's yeah, drinking min- is almost and always a, Coke. Min- Minstrels and a glass of Coke today. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> almost always. Um, yeah, Stefan Sitsipas certainly improving his credentials. It was interesting hearing him speak today he did his press conference today and he kind of said well I've I've you know someone said have you surprised yourself with how well you play on grass and he said mm, I never doubted myself I, I insisted that I can play on this surface 
Uh, it remains one of my favourite surfaces that tennis has to offer. I, I guess I proved myself last week that it's not a surface I don't like. I like playing on grass probably more than on clay, which was a surprising thing to hear, George. Well, I mean, I've heard him say this before about the grass, that he loves it more than any other surface. I think we've always been slightly surprised how bad he's been on grass. Like, it feels like he's got every weapon to work well. I was actually going to ask Calvin last week, but I think we kind of ran off into something else before I got there. But I wonder, and perhaps Calvin can confirm, is his weak slice backhand a thing that's limiting him most on grass? I feel like that's the shot that potentially is the least developed part of his backhand um, or just general game as a whole. Do you think that's something that might be holding him back on grass slightly or not at all? I just think compared to some of the better grass court one-handed backhand players in the past who've always seemed to have very good slice backhands. No, I don't think so. I don't think he's got a terrible slice by any stretch. I don't really know why he isn't better on grass. Everything everything points to that he should be. Um, I mean, he often talk, talks like he's been smoking a lot of it. Um, <laughs> or, tweet, or tweets that way. Just for the uh, sorry, just can I interject and for the interest of the record, point out that we don't actually think that Stefan Sissipas takes drugs or smokes illegal drugs, and this is a joke. Um, I also don't think he's got a good slice backhand. I don't think that's true. I think it's poor compared to a lot of the other, like top top, or like Federer. I think Federer. Who that? Like Federer. Federer What other one-handers have been successful on grass recently? Dimitrov plays pretty well. Ever, I, I don't think Sissipas' slice is that good. I, I don't know, maybe I I'm missing it. I don't think it's that good. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think the reason why he's not been winning matches on grass is because of his slice backhand, though. Like, I think it's like defensive shots on the backhand are weaker, and maybe that's where the slice comes in sometimes. He's not losing to Francis Tia, folks. His slice backhand isn't very good, though, like, like he did last year. It's, mm. I just don't think it's, you know, I'm not saying it maybe. So, know, what is it? What is hole, it? But, I this don't know. It's, it just never see. It's like with anything with him. He's he's been he's been under. I don't know. He doesn't reach his expectations, does he? Ever is there a, on is, grass as it is on any surface? Is there something to be said for the fact that actually he hasn't been that bad on grass? He got to the fourth round here in 2018, which is four years ago, right? When he was nowhere near the player that he is now. I think he was the only just seeded in that tournament and he he beat like Barrer and Jared Donaldson and you know he got to the fourth round and lost to Isner which the big names right yeah I know I know <laughs> but you know he 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 beat players who were here that that's you can certainly say <laughs> that's that. half the battle yeah uh and lost to a, a decent Isner and then as you say he lost to Tierfo last year I'm just wondering who he lost to in his other first round defeat uh, lost to an Italian, was it Fabiano? Thomas think, Fabiano, yeah. Um, you know, sample size-wise, that's not very big. So I do wonder whether maybe saying that he's not, you know, particularly good on grass. This is, I mean, look, I'm going to say the word sample size a lot over the next 40 minutes because it, it's so hard with grass to make really big judgments on people because we don't play on it enough um, to make those big judgments. But when guys, I think, are reaching 28-29, you know, they've been to Wimbledon seven or eight times, then I think we can say, yes, they are good or bad, or they've got this or that. But Tsitsipas has only played main draw of Wimbledon four times. Like, 
maybe we need to like reconsider just exactly how much we're reading into that. But I, I, I do agree that he's made semi-finals of the the French, or he obviously made the final of the French and made semi-finals of the Australian. Um, we probably should be expecting a bit more from him. And maybe now that he's won a title in Mallorca, we will indeed see it. Is it is it Kyrgios round three for him? I mean that that would be a pretty big big grass court win for him to kind of start announcing himself as someone who can take out a good grass court player. But I, I think he'll lose that if if Kyrgios gets there. I mean, and that's another bloody. I mean, he's got to get that far as well because he gets Jordan Thompson in round two, and like you know, Jordan Thompson isn't isn't the best player in the world, but he's a tough candidate on grass. He's got some good results in him. He's a hard player to play against. I know Kyrgios really rates him as well. Um, it, I just, you know, there is. We can dream of the uh, Nick Kyrgios Stefano Tsitsipas third round on uh, middle Saturday of Wimbledon, but I'm not saying it's a, a guarantee by any stretch of the imagination. Now, we also saw the return last week of one Serena Williams playing doubles, Dan Eastbourne with Ons Jabeur. Ons Rina, as I'm reliably informed, we're going to know that doubles pairing, as if indeed we do see it again. Uh, she talked a bit about letting herself go after the US Open, but uh, she did win a couple of matches, and then um, Jabeur withdrew with a knee injury, which may or may not be true. Um, doubles partnerships withdrawing the week before a slam really could mean anything. George, from, from what you saw, heard, and... Um, just generally felt about Serena. What did you make of this comeback? Um, I mean, she she looked a little bit kind of slow off the returns. I thought that was maybe my biggest concern that she didn't quite get out to the wings quick enough and seem like she was recovering so well. Obviously, you get away with it in doubles because you're only having to cover half the court. But felt to me, if I was playing Serena, uh, which obviously I would not be in a million years, um, I'd be just keep serving out wide and getting her to recover to the other side of the court as often as possible because that kind of spring step seemed pretty slow to me. Um, that said, she hits the ball still bloody well. Um, I saw a few people kind of claiming the serve was amazing in round one. It felt to me obviously quick, but not hitting the spots how I'd expect a Serena serve to. A lot of it kind of hit in the middle of the service box, not quite taking the lines, but it is big enough to kind of do the job. So... Yeah, I think the thing with her is she'll get better match by match. She is that good. She's so naturally talented um, that it'll only take a few matches to come in. She's got a decent draw against Hayley Tan. Um, so I've still picked her for fantasy. I'm not massively, massively confident, but you can never back against her, can you? And as she said, when she was asked about having a good draw, she um, I think she said something around like, oh, I bet you're glad to have avoided the top seed. And she said, well, I'm bet, I bet they're glad to avoid me. And I think there's some truth to that in the first few rounds. Uh, I apologise for background noise in uh, in my end of the podcast. I, I am, <laughs> as I say, in an undisclosed location uh, in the vicinity of Wimbledon, which I can only assume to be full of fridges that are going through overdrive. Calvin, you were down in Eastbourne, and I, I actually suspect that uh, Serena may not have been on site as the same days as you, but... Was there a bit of a buzz around? Was the idea that Serena was back, you know, kind of creating a bit of buzz? Um, she was around the same days. And uh, no, it wasn't really a buzz, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, you know, most people, I guess most of those people, they spend a lot of time around her anyway. So, um, you know, she wouldn't have been around for a year, but I don't think there, there was no real sort of, no massive buzz. She was just walking through the restaurant as normal, that kind of thing. 
does it make a difference? To, oh, sorry, to phrase it another way, it, is it good for tennis to have Serena back, or do we need to move on from this? What feels a bit like a retirement tour. I think it is good. Look, she's she's tennis's biggest superstar, isn't she? Um, women's tennis's biggest superstar, anyway. Maybe even overall. Um, but at the same time, you know, it it's not for long, and it's not regular either. Like she occasionally just you know slight comes back for like one or two tournaments. I think it would be more of a buzz if she was saying, "I'm I'm in this now till the end of the year. I'm I'm playing I'm playing this. I'm going to play all the big US swing. I'm going to play the US Open and I'm going to play the indoors and you know or even to up to the US Open." But you get the feeling it won't be, don't you? She play Wimbledon and then when if we were going to sort of take a bet, when would we say a next tournament would be after Wimbledon? I think she'll try and play the US Open, potentially not play it. And then I just feel like we might get this for a couple of years, you know, basically just Wimbledon yeah, yeah. in the US for, for, you know, because presumably that's financially quite lucrative in terms of um, partnerships and sponsorship deals and the rest of it. And, and she quite enjoys it. You know, let's not take that away from her. If she wants to play two tournaments a year, then so be it. I don't think she does seem to enjoy it. That's the weird thing. She wants to be back, but doesn't enjoy it when she's back. I think uh, <laughs> my highlight from the press clips I've seen this weekend was her talking about Muratoglu. <laughs> I mean, that was absolutely sensational today. I mean, she was what like, did talk, she say? talk, talk to me about what happened, George. What, she was asked, what's it going to be like for the first time in about 11 years that you only have Patrick in your box? She just basically said, oh, I hadn't even thought about it. Just essentially brushed it off as a total irrelevance which i suspect won't be uh, great for brand more more but it, it was a bit weird like you know all jokes aside about whatever calvin thinks about his coaching level or whatnot but it's someone you've been with a long time won a lot of titles together to kind of not even just say you know it'll be a bit strange we had great times together did a lot of work it was it was really quite dismissive which I, I was kind of surprised about to be honest no comment oh no comment <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think James maybe you should play the clip on this one that'll be, that'll be quite uh, good. I, I, I'll stick it on the uh, Love Tennis Pod Twitter and I'm sure people can find it that way I'm sure Calvin enjoyed it a um, couple of bits of news just um, maybe not worthy of discussion but Certainly worth of keeping you abreast of. Uh, Philip Kohlschreiber confirmed his retirement after losing in Wimbledon qualifying. Uh, he's 38 years old. He turned pro in 2001, uh, 21 years ago. Um, he got to a career-high ranking of number 16. He reached the fourth round of every slam. Of course, one quarterfinal uh, back in 2012 at Wimbledon. Uh, I think probably fair to say a career well-driven you know, 60 seconds full worth a minute run. Yeah, I, I liked Carl Schreiber. I liked watching him play, but I think he probably had the biggest bottle job I've ever seen losing to Andy Murray. I think it was in Dubai. He had seven match points and could not have choked more in that game. Um, this is where Murray was kind of struggling as world number one. But the other thing I was going to say is um, obviously linking everything back to fantasy today because we're pushing that as hard as possible. But... Uh, he lost to Mikhail Kukushkin, who I've taken as my qualifier, and, and that result half persuaded me um, to pick him because taking out a man on his last standing qualifying is 
pretty harsh for a bloke who's done pretty well at the slams over the years. So uh, he's convinced me to pick my boy Mikhail. The players on on um, Coltriver, the players, he was renowned for a good few years. And I don't know, maybe it's dropped off a little bit in the last couple of years, but he was renowned as the best practice match player on tour. Apparently in practice, he was phenomenal. But as George alluded to there, he had his issues with nerves in the big <laughs> matches. Uh, yeah, maybe he spent all his competitive energy on practice matches and not not using them yeah. in uh, in the actual matches, maybe. Um, anyway, he, he retires uh, at the age of 38 and fair play, $13 million of prize money. Uh, he's done all right for himself, really. Um, the other bit of news, uh, a much younger athlete, is Sebastian Corder, who pulled out of Wimbledon shortly after being beaten uh, at Eastbourne. He says he's been suffering with shin splints uh, that the grass is particularly harsh on. Anyone who's had that uh, ailment knows exactly how painful that is, um, how problematic it can be. Obviously, Corder is six foot five. He's quite a skinny chap. He's twenty-one. I feel like all those things. George, you strike me as a man who's probably had shin splints. <laughs> I've had some pain in my shins. I've never been diagnosed with shin splints, but I think that's really disappointing. Uh, you know, obviously not in terms of his decision, but rather a player I think plays really well on the grass. Has a lot about him. Um, and someone who I think can be a regular top 10 player um, and kind of compete in the upper echelons of the sport, pulling out is never a good thing. So, yeah, wish him all the best. Hope he gets back soon because I think he's someone we all like and kind of rate as a player and find him uh, intriguing on the court. So, yeah, hope he's back quickly. And any chance to constantly tell the story of the incredibly talented Corder family, uh, his <laughs> sister, of course, Nelly, being... If not still the world number one golfer, then certainly a former world number one. A um, couple of big Brat, big Brit match wins. Uh, just to note, really, um, George has been keeping a list of the big victories from over the last week, and there are quite a few. Katie Swan beating Sloane Stevens, Arthur Ferry beating Thomas Fabiano, Jody Burridge being pe- beating Petra Martic uh, about. 12 hours after losing the final at Ilkley and driving down to Eastbourne, uh, then beating top seed Paola Badosa. Uh, Ryan Penniston beat Holger Rune, Katie Bolter beat Carolina Pliskova, uh, Harriet Dart beat Jill Teichman and Marta Kostuk, Jack Draper beat Schwartzman and then Penniston himself. Uh, it's been a really good week for British tennis. Calvin, you're around a lot of these guys a lot of the time. I- is there a particularly good generation of players coming up at the moment or is this just one of those purple patches that happens and things go up as much as they go down it's not really a generation thing it's that they've finally been able to get plenty of matches domestically over the last two years it's the one you could argue it's the one sporting the one sporting good thing that has come out of covid really that we we put we sorted our competitive structure out in britain and I think now we're seeing the rewards of that, both in players being matched tight and in that they've been they've been able to make some money to take away that financial burden that often it weighs so heavily on some players. They've been yeah. able to make some money and travel and gain experience themselves. It's funny you say that. I was talking to Alistair Gray today, who is, I think I'm right in saying, the lowest-ranked um, British man in the draw. And, you know, he's got a wild card, and that, that guarantees him £50,000 of prize money and you know I said to him well what does this change he's like well yeah I don't really have to think about you know my schedule in the same way I go and play the tournaments I want to play with that money not the tournaments that I think I can afford to play 
Um, and yeah, I think that that definitely makes a difference for for those players. Uh, speaking of players and uh, independence, Nick Kyrgios has signed for Naomi Osaka's agency that she set up with Stuart Duguid, her uh, former IMG agent. Uh, they said that he's exactly the kind of player they want to be signing up, which probably tells you a bit about what the brand of this agency is going to be. Not that it might be sort of super brat, which is what sort of the image that Nick Kyrgios cultures, but um, certainly a much younger brand than most agencies like to engender. Nick Kyrgios was at Mallorca this week playing. Uh, he pulled out with an ab injury. Um, I think it might have been better to describe it as fatigue, quite frankly. Uh, he kind of explained it today that he was really just about... He played a lot of tennis. Um, he's the only player that's going to have a two-month break in the middle of the year and then come back for the grass, and he's played a lot of matches. He said, I'm just happy with where my level's at. I've had some of the best preparation in a while on grass. Load-wise, I'm happy with the amount of tennis. I had to pull out because the body was starting to feel a bit tired. Uh, there are no wanking points this week, but it's still a week I wanted to have highlighted and put all my focus into. Georgia, are you buying that? You're obviously the big Kyrgios fan of the podcast. Um, are you <laughs> buying that it's not an injury? It is Nick just, just managing load a bit? Well, I hope so. I've obviously picked him for fantasy, uh, carrying on my Kyrgios crush. Um, look, he's played some good matches the last couple of weeks. He looks pretty sharp. I think he's played really well all year, to be fair. There's been the odd uh, blip and moment. Um, some his fault, others um, were perhaps where he was pushed into a bit of a corner to melt down. But, you know, he seems confident enough, doesn't he? He's kind of probably been a bit over the top when he said he's been making top 10 players look ordinary all the time this year, I think most of the top 10 matches he's played have been pretty competitive and he's lost a few as well, but he's got a good draw. Um, I'd be surprised if he stays mentally stable, uh, that he doesn't reach the fourth round with his draw. I think he'll beat Sissipas. I think uh, the first two rounds are very winnable, including Paul Jubb in there as well. Um, so yeah, I think, who knows, this, this could be the one. This is the tournament I don't feel anyone's flying away with it in terms of Novak, maybe not quite in the form we think he is. Nadal, who knows where the foot is. Berrettini, Hercats and probably the other guys. But, if, you know, if I'm curious, I fancy myself winning this tournament. And I don't think he will, by the way, but who knows? Calvin, what? would you let me just copy and paste all your previous comments about Nick Kyrgios? What top 10 players has he made to look ordinary? This year, <laughs> he's lost to Medvedev, he's lost to Nadal, lost to Sinner. Uh, did he beat City? He beat City Pass in this is a pass in grass. Yeah, he beat Rublev, did he not? I'm fairly sure he beat Rublev at one point. Mate, yeah, he, beat, he had that one tournament. He beat Rublev and he beat um, Rude as well. He beat Rublev but... in Miami, yeah, yeah, right. And he bageled him, in fairness, he got hammered by Sinner. Mm. Sinner handed it, handed his ass to him, didn't he? <laughs> Medvedev beat him comfortably. Nadal it was a close match, but he beat him. Nadal beat him. It's the same nonsense all, all like, at the same time. Yeah, he could, he could do well at the tournament. He's a good player. But also, does it does it does anyone complain as much about tennis as Nick Kyrgios does? I've uh... seen him rabbiting on tonight about doubles shouldn't be best of five, which I do. Happen do you agree, to agree with that, with Calvin? Him. Yeah, obviously. yeah, I do happen to agree with him on that. But it's another thing that's always everything's always it's the most stupid thing I've ever heard. That's what yeah. he said. 
It's like everything is always the most stupid thing he's ever heard, and he could do it better. He's, he, just, he, he's, he's just such king, a moron. He is king of the hyperbole. Uh, he said today that, uh, that someone asked him whether the atmosphere that he was bringing to the Kia Arena with Tanasi, you know, whether Wimbledon was ready for it and talking about shoeys and stuff, and do you think the Wimbledon crowd would be up for shoeys? And he said, I don't think there's a place in Great Britain when I've, where I've seen so much alcohol consumed as Wimbledon. Um, well, A, anyone who wants to get really drunk at Wimbledon needs to remortgage their house based on the uh, £22.50, 200 mil glass of champagne that they're selling outside Centre Court at the moment. Uh, and B, has he ever been to the darts or the cricket or really any other sporting event? Surely, I mean, Wimbledon is boozy-ish, but I'm not having it as the booziest event in English sport. No, it's everything's... everything's he, he needs an absolute all the time, doesn't he? Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. Never, he's never... He can't just be, I'm pretty good on grass. He has to be, he's the best grass court player in the world. Like, and is he still not, I don't think he's still not been in the second week of a slam for about seven years now, has he? Uh, not in singles, no. Cannot, cannot no. Uh, refute that. Yeah, grand uh, slam winner now, Calvin. Put some respect on his name. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking... You wouldn't want to draw him, would you, in the doubles with Kokonakis? No. No, look, he's a good player. There's no question he's, a very, he's exceptionally talented, but... You know, there's, there's a lot of exceptionally talented players around. As I've said mm. before, he's not as talented as Roger Federer or Rafa mm. Nadal. Um, Contra- controversial but... statement. Calvin, Very tennis, controversial. Tennis coach claims Kyrgios not as good as, as Federer or Nadal. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, you know my thoughts. Man. We do. Shall we move on? Uh, speaking of Grand Slam winners, Emma Raducanu uh, has got a new coach in town. Calvin, you're our font of all knowledge on coaching and especially in the British scene. Jane O'Donoghue, I mean, what do you know about her? Am I right in saying she's not a coach anymore full-time? Um, yeah, Jane works in banking now. Um, I don't really understand why, but we know the Raducanu's team's view that all tennis coaches are crap, so we'll now <laughs> just employ people who work in finance. Um, <laughs> but she will have worked yeah. with, with Emma before, right? Like, you know, this, she's not a completely new face. No, she'll have done some. Um, she'll have done some trips with her in juniors and that kind of thing. I'd, uh, mm. I'd love to. Like, why don't they just go and get Flex again? Yeah. Like, how uh, bad? I... How bad can that relationship have been at the end? That the only thing he's done with her is win a slam. Yeah, Andrew Richardson, of course, Flex to everyone who knows him. Um, George, any, any thoughts on why on earth we might have got oh. rid of Andrew Richardson and not brought him back? Uh, well, thoughts of why. They got rid of him. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was a monetary thing. Perhaps he asked for too much and didn't get what he hoped for after kind of becoming a grand winning coach. But you never know. This, this could be another kind of thing with her that she just delivers when she's got people that she knows really well, people who are closer to her. And uh, this this could be the time she wins another Wimbledon. You never know. You can tell I'm on... What do you mean another Wimbledon? To... Oh, Wimbledon. Oh, first Wimbledon. <laughs> first another Wimbledon. Grand Slam. Another Grand Slam. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not that optimistic, by the way. I'm, I'm, I she was said almost she's... picking Alison Van Oytbank first round because I kind of really fancy her to win that, but I I wimped out and went for Serena. She says she's fit uh, from the injury that she suffered in Nottingham a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she had two weeks off, um, but has been preparing this week and that... Uh, the cancelled practice session on Friday was just a kind of 
decision that they already trained in the morning and she thought she'd just stay a bit fresher. I think she probably had found out by then that she was going to be playing on Monday morning, so or Monday afternoon, I should say, as she is um, in between uh, Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic, quite the uh, centre court uh, role for mm. Monday. Uh, we shall see how fit she really is. Uh, I feel like all the talking is done to a certain extent, and we may well talk about it after the break anyway. Um, Noah Djokovic says he's out of the US Open as it stands. He's right. Uh, that is how immigration rules work in America at the moment. If you're not vaccinated, you are not welcome. Uh, someone said, has this made you change your mind about getting the vaccine? And he pretty, pretty shortly said no. Yeah, I mean, it's really funny because he kind of said, there's not much more I can do at this moment in time. Um, I mean, that's not quite accurate. He could just have a little jab in the arm. But, I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, we've gone from this guy winning three or four slams last year, getting to the final of the fourth, potentially can't play two slams this year. Um, I don't know. I mean, it seems a very real possibility he's not going to win a grand slam this year. You know, I'd, Calvin's convinced he's not in the right headspace. It must be kind of hard to kind of turn up. And, you know, he said himself, this this tournament kind of means more in many ways this year, given the kind of uncertainty around playing in New York. So, yeah, big, big pressure on him. Um, I still think he'll probably win it, by the way, but less certain than I normally am around a kind of Djokovic Wimbledon in the last couple of years. I, I do wonder whether pressure gets to Novak a little bit more these days. Like, yeah. he's always when you look at the the evidence on show uh, recent. I mean, without wanting to create recency bias, but recency bias is quite important in sport because you know that's how form works. Um, you know, the final of the U.S. Open last year, he frankly crumbled. Uh, he's been pretty open about the fact that the pressure got to him and the enormity of the occasion. Olympic um, semis as well. The Olympic semis meltdown there. Something very odd going on there. The quarterfinal against Rafa, he was flat. I mean, Rafa played brilliantly, but Djokovic was flat, um, and he didn't play well. I mean, Calvin, you've always called him the greatest match player of all time, and certainly at his peak he was. But do we now have to consider that there might be a pretty significant chink in the Djokovic mental armour? Yeah, he's um, he's not he's not in his prime anymore. I think we can say that this is not his peak, um, and he's not what he was. I still think he'll win this one, but this is the last one I'm going to just ignore everything that's gone before and just go, yeah, and win it because he won he won it a year ago or two years ago or whatever, or three years ago. There wasn't one two years ago. Um, but, yeah, I think we, there's definitely chinks in the armour. It's in a strange place now, though, men's tennis, isn't it? You've got the person who you think is going to win it. He hasn't won one in a while now. He hasn't won one since this time last year. The other guy who you think would be second favourite has a foot that's falling off. Um, <laughs> we're, we're saying that one of the favourites for the tournament is a guy who hasn't been to the second week in a slam in seven years or whatever. Uh, it's a tough one to pick in the men's. <laughs> yeah. I, are we are we expecting a reunion with Vider pretty soon, by the way? I mean, that seems to be when his kind of head falls off that those two split and then... They reunite, it kind of comes together again. How, how big an impact is that? You know, you love bigging up the coaches, Calvin, but that, that does seem a bit of correlation with 
some of the stuff that's going on, perhaps. I, I don't love bigging up the coach. They always say that biggest impact a coach can have is about 15%. <laughs> that's not, and I am That's one. a big 15% um, for Djokovic. Yeah. I don't I don't know. That last one with Vida seemed... I think Vida's a pretty tough man. I think at some stage you'll get to just go, no, I'm not doing this. You keep sacking me and binning me off and then calling me up when you can't win any matches. Um, I think it'd have to be a significant financial offer to do that. But Djokovic is, I mean, he's nuts, isn't he? You don't know what he's going through in his head. So it's hard to read him. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So the second half of the Love Tennis podcast tonight will be, I suppose, like a podlet in itself. We are going to be doing a podcast every day in some formation, and we'll generally be looking forward to the next day's play. Today, of course, we haven't got anything to look back on other than some of the media stuff that you've heard, but we do have the day one order of play to look forward to. Um, A best place to start, I suppose, is centre court where, of course, the defending champion Novak Djokovic will open play at 1.30pm for reasons that are beyond me. I don't know why it starts at 1.30. It's absurd, obviously. Uh, but he will. He's up against Kwon Sun Woo, the Korean player. They have played once before. It was pretty one-sided in Belgrade on clay uh, a year ago. George, we do have some record of Djokovic as a slow starter though don't we of late Jack Draper took a set off him in the first round last year um, there were times at the French last year where he showed vulnerability early on as well or just getting out the blocks in certain matches Pr- presumably Quan is not the man to maybe exploit those weaknesses no I suspect not um I, funnily enough, one of my old housemates who used to play our fantasy tennis game was a massive Quan supporter. He picked in one slam and he, I think he went around two or three. And since then, he's been kind of obsessed with him and says he's his favourite player. No, I, I think this will be fairly comfortable for Novak. As I said, I think uh, over the weekend, I think Kokonakis could potentially be a bit of a test. But other than that, it's really hard to see Novak not reaching the quarterfinals and even with that match there's a massive caveat that I don't think it'll be that close so yeah I think he can play his way in even with a slow start he'll have way too much for uh, Kwan I think he is followed by Emma Raducanu against Alison van Uitvank uh, which we've discussed obviously previously I think this match is all about how fit uh, Emma Raducanu is whether she's fit or not Alison van Uitvank you kind of know what you're going to get from her um, she probably doesn't have the weapons, I would suggest, to uh, maybe compete with Raducanu if she plays to her 
full potential. But I think really the, the match that I'm really looking forward to on centre is the last one. Andy Murray up against James Duckworth in the first round. They, of course, met four years ago at the US Open, which was between Murray's first and second hip surgery. So he had had hip surgery, but he didn't have the metal hip, which, of course, um, made all the difference, quite frankly. It was the first round. Murray lost the first set and then came through in four in 2018. They did actually play more recently than that in Brisbane in 2019, um, which was, of course, just before that second hip surgery um, and Murray won again in straight sets so everything suggests that Murray should come through it again Calvin he I spoke to a couple of people who've hit with him this week who all say that he is looking as good as he ever has I mean I don't know if you've had the chance to see him on a practice court because he has his favorite court and I don't know if you've been <laughs> got very near it but uh, the, the the word on the street seems to be that he's in good nick um I haven't watched him really. I've seen him out practicing a couple of times, um, but I haven't really had time to go and stand and watch. Um, but yeah, most people I speak to say he's hitting it well. Um, is it hitting? It's not going to be a problem. Move and whether his body holds up, I think. Yeah, I suppose it's also, um, and actually, just in the last few minutes or hours, I suppose um, Stan Varinka's published a a player's tribune piece which I would urge you to read and I'll tweet it and I'll maybe stick it on the Love Tennis pod as well and he talked about beating Francis TFO in that three tiebreak match and how brilliant that was for him to do it but two days later his body was on fire still and it reminded me of kind of what Murray said about his Shapovalov match last year when he said I was so angry that I wasn't fit enough to play as well as I can because the Oscar Otter five setter had taken so much out of him is that he couldn't go uh, and play Denis Shapovalov. I suppose what he's proved is that he probably does have that fitness now. You know, the level is there, but also the ability to come back time and again. At Stuttgart, he did it. All right, he got injured in the final, and, and that's a little bit of a concern, albeit it's a slightly random injury. But it, it does seem as though he is at least now in that place where he can both be fit enough and good enough. Yeah, I, th I still think the jury's out over best of five matches at a slam. How many can he actually come through? Um, we've spoken about this time and time again, haven't we? I mean, he he needs to be making light work of Duckworth. I mean, he needs to see him off in three sets if he wants to realistically go deep in this tournament. He needs to take care of these early rounds, keep his body in good shape. I mean, I... I don't know what we all think is a realistic run for Murray, but I think with his draw, fourth round is very possible. Um, if he plays anywhere close to the standard he can get. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I worry for him based on the slight injury he had the other week. I worry for him against the best players in the world in the way that Berrettini was still able to kind of keep on top of him with his serve. I, Certainly don't think he, he's got a serious chance of winning this tournament. But if he gets to the second week, that's another step forward. And who knows, with Big Ivan in his box, you never know. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say something, which is that uh, I'm sitting in one of the uh, rooms that has access to a screen. And uh, the Wimbledon media system is currently cycling through various test results, just testing the system. And some of them are real tennis players. But I've just noticed Graham Lasso, his name, pop up <laughs> as having been beaten by Jaume Munar. 
Um, now, Graham Lasso is a big tennis fan, I know that. Uh, but I think he's also probably got a chance of beating Jaume Munar on grass, so unrealistic on a number of levels. Um, yeah, I mean, if Andy Murray gets to the fourth round, Calvin, I mean, if he goes out in the first round, goodness knows how angry he'll be. But if he gets to the fourth round and loses to Georgia, will be able to tell me who his fourth round opponent is potentially. But if he Alcaraz gets to or yeah, if he loses to Alcaraz in the fourth round Otter. of Wimbledon, is that gonna is that gonna like? Is he going to walk out of that match and say, "Well, I'm not. This isn't worth it for getting to the fourth round." He'll probably say that. Um, I think again, it depends on the nature of it. Um, mm. If he plays Alcaraz, and he, we don't know what Alcaraz like on grass. To be fair, although True. these grass are barely grass courts, they're him hard court with Struff's a bit of going to be tough for him. Mm. He'll beat Struff. Right? <laughs> oh, you mean for Al- Alcaraz? Yeah. Alcaraz, yeah, round one. That's not a nice one. Yeah, although I think you'll... These courts, are, they play like hard courts. You know, I know people say it, but when you go on them, like, underneath the grass, underneath the layer of grass, they are rock hard. Hmm. There's no, and I've been on a lot of grass courts in the last month, six weeks. These aren't like any other grass courts. Hmm. Hmm. Which is a shame, if you ask me, and if you ask most people. Yeah. Or, or, or be it, uh, I don't know. I this is a conversation for another time, but you know, I watched a couple of old grass court matches recently, and you know, like late nineties, early two thousands, and it, it actually wasn't a very edifying spectacle, quite frankly. George. I mean, we sort of talked talked about Murray's run the other day, but actually getting to the quarterfinals seems fairly possible, doesn't it? I mean, who who would you say is the biggest threat in his entire section? You got. Someone like Sinner, Vavrinka, Isner, Fodnini, Struff, Alcaraz. None of those should strike fear into his bones, should they? I, I mean, if he's fit, can he do it? I think it's just so hard because, yeah, like five years ago, obviously, like none of those people you'd be that worried about. But this isn't five years ago. This is a, it's a different player and, and we have no sample size for this Murray. Like we have a bit to go on from Stuttgart, and a bit to go on the fact that we, you know, he is a two-time Wimbledon champion. But overall, we really don't know much about this Andy Murray. I think that makes it really, really hard. Um, anyway, we'll see. Tomorrow uh, is D-Day for him, or Duckworth Day, uh, depending on your point of view. Uh, number one court, we've got Ons Jabeur opening her campaign. Carlos Alcaraz is up against Jan Struff, as George mentioned. That is a tricky one. Angelique Kerber is the other choice uh, on number one court, which I thought was slightly odd. She's up against Christina Milanovic. I know, but do we have to be slave to that quite so much? You know, I don't know. Maybe we do. Maybe that's... Milanovic, former top ten player. Yeah, form, former champ, former top ten player, George. Former <laughs> doing quite a lot of heavy lifting there, if you ask me. Although, I know that Kiki Milanovic has made something of a comeback. I hope she behaves better than after her first round loss last year, anyway. Mm, yes. Wide. Um, the, the match of the day for me, and I think probably for everyone, is Yannick Sinner uh, up against Stan Vavrinka uh, on number two court. It's probably going to be around 2 p.m. UK time, 2.30 p.m. UK time by my maths. Uh, but of course, these things are something of a movable feast. Um, Calvin, I mean, you, you, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're quite a big Stan fan. Um, he has written, as I say, this, this thing on Players Tribute about how special it is for him to come back. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if he had one one last dance, one last shot at a second week or something? 
Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great to see him back. Um, yeah, it's been a long road back for him, hasn't it? Like, I don't know whether, like, internationally, whether they see the two of them together, but we always seem to think, like, we think about Murray, but Stan's been out for almost as long, hasn't he, uh, in that time? Um, he's got a good chance against Sinner. I spoke with somebody who practised with Sinner last week, um, and they weren't overly impressed with him on the grass. Um he certainly doesn't have a good record on it, and he, he doesn't seem to enjoy it. Draper obviously undid him last year. I think Martin Fuchsovitz beat him in the first round last year. Um, George? Yeah, I, I can see him winning that, but second week is it, a no from me. I don't think he beats... Whatever. In, in, at Wimbledon this year. Right. I, I don't just, think he I'm... beats one of Murray or Isner um, going to the fourth. I, I don't see that. I think he's, so as I say, this player's Tribune piece is well worth reading. Um, but I think he is pretty open. He says, given how little tennis I have played, I know it will be difficult for me to go far at Wimbledon. Either way, what matters is the day-to-day work. If I do those things well, I'll be happy. If I'm feeling great towards the end of the summer, I'll set some goals. I want to climb in the rankings. I want to win a tournament again. I'm not talking about a Grand Slam. It could be a 1,500, 250. Any level doesn't matter. If anyone's got a club tournament they want to invite Stan Wawrinka to, I, I'm absolutely sure that he'd come along and try and win it. Um, he says, but first I have to feel that I'm ready for that. Right now I'm not, not yet. I know this is the final part of my career. I cannot play forever. I think I have two or three years at most. I want to enjoy them. And the only way to do that is to give myself the best possible chance to win a trophy. How do I do that? I push myself to the limit. Well, he'd be pushing 40 in three years if he's still going, given yeah. all the issues he's had. I mean, that... To be honest, I, I was thinking one year for Vavrinka, given mm. kind of how little we've seen him. Um, but and... you have to remember, George, I mean, and Calvin will be able to speak to this, like a player's mentality is a very hard thing to understand because being a professional sports person requires a lot of, well, what they call self-belief and what I call self-delusion. You, you have to, even if things aren't true, you have to kid yourself they're true, right, Calvin? Yeah, hundred percent. That you need an irrational brain a lot of the time. <laughs> mm. um, otherwise, we if you didn't have that, we'd never see comebacks mm. in sport. We'd never see best of. We'd never see people coming back from two sets and a breakdown. Mm. You have to actually believe you can do it. Otherwise, they just whoever wins the first two sets would win all best of five matches. Yeah, yeah. You have to be able to do it. Um, plenty of other matches going on tomorrow. Uh, Hubert Hercatch is opening on number three court, 11 a.m. Uh, start. That'll be up against Alejandro Davidic Fakina. Uh, Hercatch, of course, quite well fancied uh, for this tournament. He's also part of uh, Matchpoint Tennis Championships. He's one of a number of licensed players on that. You can play as Hubert Hercatch. As I said the other day, I've been playing as Hubert Hercatch on Matchpoint. I'm really enjoying it because I think he's a really nice guy. Um, the game comes out on the 7th of July. I've been lucky enough to get the chance to play it in advance. Um, it's on PC, PlayStation 4 and 5, and Xbox consoles as well. It's also going to be released with Xbox Game Pass from day one. You can play in 65 realistic tournaments across 26 stadiums. It is actually tremendously fun and a bit addictive, and I've probably done slightly less work because of it, um, which, given that I'm currently buying a house or have just bought a house, uh, my partner will tell you is not great news at all. Um, pre-order the game now from game uh, before the 7th of July pre-order it before the 7th of July make sure you get it when it comes out on the 7th and you can accompany your Wimbledon watching uh, with some uh, tennis sim as well 
that Hubert Hercatch match, George, if it was a simulation against Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, he would surely win. But real life tennis is not a simulation. What do you think happens there? Is there any chance that former Wimbledon boys champion ADF gives him a bit of bother? Yeah, I think there's definitely a chance. I mean, the way Hercats was playing the other week, um, he thumped Medvedev in the final, beat guys like Kyrgios that week. You know, he's playing super tennis. I think Pajer Elias even Humber, some of his other victims. That You know, it's an incredibly strong grass field to come through and come through uh, with a plum, really. Um, but I don't know. Davidovich Fikin is one of these guys. I'm, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to win the match, but he does always seem to kind of scrap and make it nasty and make it pretty difficult. I can see that going four or five. Um, and if Hubert's not kind of the top of his game, that'll, that'll be tricky. But yeah, I, yeah. Have you picked him for Fantasy James? I know you were kind of talking to me earlier saying you were considering him over Berrettini, which I thought was fairly bold. But the way he's playing, no great surprise if you did. Yeah, you, you know how I said I was going to have a really differential team? <laughs> you I, bottled I, it. I absolutely have not. I may, because you can have multiple entries. I'm all for multiple entries in fantasy. If you want to pick a different team and put a different team name on it, you, you're more than welcome to. Um, I may do the team I think will get me the most points, and I may do like the, the differential team, the hipster team, um, which allows me to really hedge my bets in a very Belshorian way, I think, actually. Uh, so I wouldn't be against that. Um, there are, by the way, nine Brits in action tomorrow. Uh, Cam Norrie, Jody Burry, Lily Miyazaki, Jay Clark, Heather Watson, Emma Raducanu, Ryan Pennison, Andy Murray and Katie Swan. Um, you will have listened to our podcast uh, on Friday and how many Brits we think are going to win. George thinks it's going to get loads. I'm slightly less optimistic. Um, <laughs> Does that say 12 of 17? Yes, exactly. Which means Maybe down need, to 11 with Radicanu now. You need quite a lot of wins tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Calvin, we've talked about Ryan Penniston uh, against Henri Laxonen and that's obviously a decent chance for him. We haven't really talked about Jay Clark, who's up against... An American qualifier that I don't know, and I, I don't know, you may have come across him, although I guess the Americans probably end up on a slightly different um, circuit from you. Christian Harrison, um, who he's Ryan Harrison's younger brother, which may be a good thing or it may actually be a bad thing. Um, it would be massive for Jay to win that match, wouldn't it? I don't know how realistic that is, though, Calvin. Uh, it's very realistic, right? Christian Harrison's very uh, up and down. That's a mm. great draw for Jay Clark, to be honest. Um, and Christian Harrison and his brother are part of this part of Novak Djokovic's team in regards to vaccines for um, COVID, famously. <laughs> I see. And famously, both of them are not particularly nice people. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. And. Yeah, he Christian Harrison actually played 25k at Nottingham randomly not long ago uh, when I was there mm. uh, with the player I coach, and he basically I think he won his first round. He, he randomly came to Nottingham for one 25k, which I never understood really why you do that being American and being the ranking that he is. Mm. He was top seed. I think he won a match, and then in the second round. He absolutely destroyed a racket in the first game of the match and then went to break down and I think he withdrew at 3-1 in the first set. Um, hmm. And just made no sense. He flew in, 
for 125k that I'm pretty sure wouldn't have affected his ranking anyway. Won one match on... It would have been his last hardcore tournament before the grass court swing. Won one match and then destroyed a racket, got a code violation and retired at, I think, 3-1 first set. Hmm. Very odd. He, he uh, beat Anton Matusevic in uh, qualifying, uh, followed by wins over Dalibor Svrchina, it's easy for you to say, and Daniel Mazur in five sets, in fairness. So, you know, he's got a bit of form under his belt, but, um, yeah, it sounds like it's not a bad draw for Jay. Um, George, have you got any other matches you want to pick out, or have you got a Jay Clark story to match that? No, I don't have that. I was, I was just going to say, James, there, where you're kind of talking about a bit of form, you know, I was looking through the qualifiers um, earlier to kind of pick my team. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, all of them have won the last three matches. They must all be in decent form. Give it But then as soon as you start scratching the surface, it's... Uh, I mean, in fairness, good. I always say this about qualifiers, like never underestimate them because they have won three matches on, you know, the surface or similar surfaces. You, know, you, you can't mess around. You know, they're not, not going to be bad, are they? That's another no, thing, though, not. when we talk when we talk about the surfaces, that that Wimbledon is the only um, Grand Slam where the qualifying is at a different yeah. area and a different on different courts. Those courts that they play on at the Bank of England are not the same as these courts. Mm, yeah, that's true enough. Um, I mean, that is something that may change as well. They, they, one of the things of the big Wimbledon redevelopment is they want to bring qualifying on site, which would, of course, change things quite significantly. But, yeah, I was going to ask you about the courts of the Bank of England. I mean, as you say, you've been on a lot of grass courts over the last month, not those included, but sort of reputationally, what are they like? Are they any good? Uh, they're all right. Um, I mean, the, half the courts are not even tennis courts most of the year. They're a rugby pitch and then a cricket pitch. I have and played they, on that cricket pitch, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually meant to send you guys a picture. I took it a few weeks ago when I was at the NTC of them transforming the cricket pitch into a rugby, into a ten, into tennis courts. Hmm. Um, so that, those courts are not great. The others are, they, they're grass courts, you know. They they play like grass courts, which the ones at Wimbledon don't. Hmm. Um, James, uh, going back to your original question about the match, um most intrigued by tomorrow it's not one in terms of high quality it's one that's between two uh, very very clay courty players that i'm saying but i'm interested to see how casper rude fares against albert ramos vinolas because rude feels primed for an early exit yeah um, i mean i don't know if i would tell people to watch that which is sort of what i was angling for i'm not sure i'd be like <laughs> you know what you should be watching tomorrow like forget Djokovic, forget murray forget sinna <laughs> Go and watch Rude Ramos for Nolas. I think it'll be fascinating. The other one, fascinating. Vaguely, Christ I might me. pick out. I don't know. I don't know where Contevate is at the minute. So Bernarda Pera against her, that might be a little. Well, bit I think she's tricky. probably tucked up in bed. I mean, to be honest. If that's the question, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think I think that might be trickier than uh, maybe looks on. Paper. I might go and watch that because it's on number two court, and that's my second favorite court. So it's a great court. Um, it's a lovely part of Wimbledon. I mean, it's also the second match on, and during the first week, the only real chance in the first week you get to watch tennis. Yeah, what's is what's 11, your first? 12. Yeah, what's your first match you to watch? Is it Nori v Andihar, Fakina versus her cats, Rude so, v Ramos v Nolas? After I've just picked that up as the so as it's you, like clay quarter or grass match. I'll tell you where I should be. I'll tell you where I'd like to be, and I'll tell you where I will be. Boris Shrinker. Where I should be is Norrie Andujar to mm -hmm. see the British number one start his Wimbledon campaign. 
Where I'd like to be is number three court, which is always true, for Davidovich Fakina against Hercatch. Yeah. And where I will be is on the roof of the media center watching Jody Burridge and Serenko on court 18 because I love watching matches from up there. And it's the first place I ever saw Emma Raducanu play in the flesh um, <laughs> against Diachenko in uh, Wimbledon last year. So I feel like somehow I might be able to like channel a bit of that energy into Jody Burridge, who incidentally is in bloody good form. Just, just one last one that may be worth a little watch uh, for old times' sakes. Lucas Rosal, who famously took out Rafael Nadal, takes on Nicolas Basilashvili, which could be an interesting... I mean, you can never go wrong battle. telling people to watch Nicolas Basilashvili. He's not a good bloke, as we know, but... He is quite he sort of ent- it, entertaining he? on the tennis court in a number of ways. So um, maybe that's the one to watch. Um, we're going to have a quick run around our fantasy teams. Uh, George, you've done your video. Uh, so if people want to see uh, George's fantasy team, they can go over to twitter.com uh, slash George um, and uh, check out his fantasy team. Calvin, uh, in, in what is a surprising move from you, I think you've already done your team, haven't you? I, I was sort of assuming. No, I, haven't. I know you haven't. Have you finalised it? Have you have you have you thought about it? I haven't even looked at it yet. I'll try and do it um, tonight. <laughs> this was um, his excuse at the French Open, leaving it too late. So no, in fairness, can't... in fairness, I'm glad because I did predict and have a bet with myself um, that will end in a beer later on, uh, which I buy for myself. Um, that you <laughs> that you would uh, that you would do it do it in the in lastminute.com. But you know, it's classic coach, isn't it? He wants all the available information before submitting his team at 9.59am. And crucially, he's got an edge because he could just text me and tell, him to, tell me to reopen the form, and I probably would. Um, my team, George, you can probably guess about half of it, given I've told you I'm not doing the differential route. Uh, Djokovic, Berrettini, Francis Tiafo, which... Gone for it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of... Been, that is a differential, I think. I think it's also what they sometimes call in the NFL a homer. Um, which is, uh, I just really like him, and uh, I, I've always liked him. He's he's got a qualifier in the first round. Always dangerous in form. Um, mm-hmm. But then three he's got matches e- under their belt. He's got either Martyra or Bedene in the second round, and then probably like either Fuksovic or Karenia Booster in the third. Like they're all winnable. Like he, and he's in the same section as Casper Ruud. So you know he wouldn't actually have to play that well to get to the quarters. Uh, at which point mm-hmm. I'm sort of quids in. I've so, gone Dim- Dimitrov as my man there, who I think so, meets Norrie round three. Yeah, he's, so, in, he's in that. Again, winnable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've also picked Andy Murray uh, for Ooh. reasons as discussed. Yeah, I just gone feel big kicks. Yeah, and then well, I was going to pick Christian Harrison, <laughs> but I feel like I may have received some information that that was not a great pick. So I'm going to have to rethink my qualifier. Um, everyone's going for the Jack, the Jack Sock versus Bernabe Zapata Morales match, and everyone's picking Jack Sock. And really? That's really ill-advised. I think that's really ill-advised. <laughs> that's amazing. I've gone for Kukushkin, which mm. is against Jensen Brooksby round one, but I'm hoping he takes over his section of the draw. But yeah, I'm not yeah. overly confident. No, I mean, you're only really looking for one win, aren't you? Um, so I don't know. You say that, but the last, uh, I, I feel like every game we've done, someone's reached the bloody fourth round. Or yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in a similar area with my second choice, which is Zdenek Kolar, 
who was a lucky loser, mm. so he's not in good form. Uh, but you know, that <laughs> under the radar, you know, he's got something to prove after losing and qualifying. I don't know. It's nonsense. Playing it? with house money, as they say. I remember yes. Goffin going to the fourth round of the French Open. Everyone's like, "Oh, it's a great lucky loser." Right. So, let's see. That might sum up David Goffin's career. In fairness, <laughs> um, that's actually very harsh. I really like David Goffin. Yeah, that's really harsh. But it just—it was too good a gag not to make. Uh, my women's team, Eager Shontek, maybe. Yeah, obviously. Uh, Coco Goff, uh, Petra Kvitova. Uh, Given been swayed. Yeah. You're right. Uh, Yelena Wickmire is my qualifier, which I think Georgie Same as, me. as well because yeah. we actually talked about it. And then my only vague differential pick is Magda Lynette. Um Yeah, which is pretty. I was always picking someone against her earlier. Was it Fernanda Contreras Gomez? Yeah, so I was eyeing that as a, a qualifying upset. So I'll tell you why I picked Magda Lynette. Um, <laughs> that is rogue, to be fair. No, but she is actually basically won two matches at Wimbledon two years in a row and there's I don't know how many women in that bracket you could actually say that about um she beat Kostea Serena and, oh no Serena actually didn't no. last year, did she, she yeah. beat Kostea and Anisimova at Wimbledon 2019 and then last year she beat Anisimova again and Alina Svitolina it's like and she took That's a set a pretty off good result. you know she like She's a pretty good big match player. She clearly draws dreadfully because she keeps running into <laughs> massive names. But, you know, she's... Um, and I'm right in saying that she picked up a big win at the French. I'm trying to think who she beat. Did she beat Ons Jabeur? Jabeur, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, there's there's big match experience there. I don't think she's afraid of too much. And, you know, the poles are flying. So, I mean, maybe I should have picked as many Polish players as I possibly could. <laughs> I don't possibly. Know. I've got... The thing is... I feel having finished second, or sorry, third in Fantasy French Open. That was quite, it third? I thought you dipped down a little bit beyond. There were a lot of late shifts in the league table that I <laughs> chose to ignore. Um, I feel there's a lot of pressure on my shoulder to perform well. And yeah. I, anyone who plays cricket with me knows I'm absolutely terrible under pressure. So uh, I am not looking forward to this. Also, I haven't done a model for this, so I don't even have any like scientific data to back me up. Because of the sample size. Calvin, do you have anyone locked in that you know you're picking beyond doubt? No, um, I think that's the toughest one between TFO and Dimitrov. Mm. I could see both of them doing well. Mm. Um, that's going to be a coin toss for me. Um, I haven't looked at the draw, actually, to where the qualifiers go. I was a bit surprised that... Not well. Did Lucas, Ro- did Lucas Russell qualify? He was yeah he did qualify. I mean I could tell you who he beat if you'd like. He, he beat Thiago Saboth Wild, Christopher Eubanks, and then Renzo Olivo. Which in fairness is a, Olivo had a good run here. That's quite ago. a tough running qualifying. I mean Saboth Wild lost two and zero, so I'm guessing was potentially not fit. But you know Eubanks is a decent player. Yeah, I mean that surprises me because. I, we saw, I don't know, I mentioned on the board um, about 10 months ago that he was in, no, not even that long, actually. It's been October. Um, he was in Prague at the same time as we were at the same tournament, and he was just terrible. Mm. Um, <laughs> he lost first round in that tournament, 25K in Prague. Oh, I remember you saying so, that, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's not, very Not strange. a particularly pleasant bloke, either. So you're, gonna be, you're not going to be um, picking in then, Calvin? No, I mean, it's a, I thought he'd be done. I thought he was retired and done. Um, looked that way in Prague in October and then 
there, there they are, back qualifying for slams. Incredible. Well, um, that is pretty much all we've got time for tonight uh, in what has been a slightly... I apologise for the background noise in the first half. I have moved and hopefully it'll be better. And I, I might even have managed to edit some of it out, although that seems uh, pretty unlikely. Do leave us a rating or a review uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're still listening, there's something happening at the end of the podcast that we could do with your thoughts on. So let us know what you think. Podcast Network. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.